You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, we're going we're gonna to start a new series today. I, I just really felt anytime that we do series, we always do something topical. So we talk about, you know, when God doesn't make sense or um, we talk about whatever other series we've done. I can't remember everything we've done off the top of my head. But I really wanted us just to get into a book study and just break stuff down verse by verse, right? All right, somebody's excited about that. Thank you, Jesus. I was concerned that nobody was going to be excited about this, but it's okay. Um, we're going to look at Second Peter. That's where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks. So if you have your Bible, um, I want you to, to open that to Second Peter. We will have it on the screen, but the series will go so much better if you have a Bible because you'll be able to follow track. You have your notes here. Um, today is going to get a little um, almost systematic theology, just a little bit. They're going to give you a couple of, of new terminology that you're going to understand because we really want to unpack what these 11 verses have to say and really pull from it, like, what, it, what is Peter trying to say? What, what is it that the Holy Spirit wants to do through me? Where do I need to be obedient today? So the whole time that we're, we're studying this and we're, we're reading, and I want that question to be there. So on the bottom of your handout, I've written a couple of questions. Number one is, what is the Holy Spirit trying to tell you? Then the second question is, how will you be obedient to whatever it is that he is telling you to do? And then who do you need to talk to about it? Who's, the, who's God leading you to have conversations with about this? Let me give you a little background on, uh, on 2 Peter. This is the last book that Peter, the disciple Peter, he writes. And he's writing it in the middle of this political upheaval that is happening all around him, okay? So things aren't going good. It's not going good at all. So there's, they're in the middle of political upheaval, and while, while all this has taken place, the reason being that it's taken place is because the Emperor Nero has taken office in Rome, and the people felt like he wasn't really the winner of the election, that he should not have been in place. So you got political upheaval, you got the people mad because somebody's in office that they felt like didn't belong there. They've got economic strife. Does this sound familiar? I didn't get this off Fox News. I'm reading this from, from Second Peter here. But, but isn't it funny that the Bible, not a lot has changed, isn't it? The only difference here, maybe, hopefully this part is not prophecy, every city in Rome was on fire. Now we have seen some of that, right? Okay, so maybe some of this is somewhat true. So every city is on fire. In other words, it's going down and it's going down quick. And in, the, in this process, in this economic strife, in this political upheaval, in this war, in all of this, the fires were started by Nero. But what he did was he said, let's blame that on the Christians. So he blamed the Christians and convinced all of the people, the Christians are the one that started the fire, and therefore, persecution starts all throughout Rome, and it becomes deadly to be a follower of Jesus in this time period. And Nero became a hero real quick. He would do things to Christians like murder them or take them and put them and impale their bodies on stakes after dipping them in tar and would light their bodies on fire so that they would be the street lights for the parties that he would throw. I mean, you probably have had some crazy parties back in your day before Jesus, right? But never... Have you used people for lights? He was crazy. He lost his mind. And this is what's happening. 
And in the midst of all of this, Peter's like, it doesn't stop the message of Jesus that needs to get to the people. In 1 Peter, he writes this whole book trying to tell the people, protecting them from threats that come outside of the church. But in 2 Peter, he shifts to tell them and watch to be careful for threats that come from within the church. Okay? So he, he wants to protect them here. So in the midst of all of this, he could be writing about the persecution and writing about this, but he's really shifting his focus to say, listen, and, and the whole thing is this, if you will just stay grounded in the things that God has called you to do and walk with him and abide with him, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. You're going to be able to walk through this stuff with no problem because you're going to have this brand new sense of, of seeing things. So in the middle of all this, Peter's writing this book. And he's saying, hey, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And can I tell you, I believe that that's kind of where we are too, that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better because there's going to be a day that Jesus is going to break through the eastern clouds and he's going to call us home. I believe that. He's going to come and there's going to be that day. And when that day comes, we're going to realize how good we really have it because we're going to see our Savior face to face. So if we were walking through this book, one of the themes that we're going to see is this first word called sanctification. Okay? That big word just means, it just means to make it holy. To make holy. This is what Peter is saying is that God, upon salvation, he sanctifies us. He, he begins the process of making us holy, declaring us as a holy people through the blood of Jesus. Okay? So this is kind of the whole theme that we're going to be running with through these next few verses. So in verse 1, he says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I want to pause right there because there's something really weird if you don't catch it. Peter's name had a change where he, he begins being called Peter, and everything he writes goes by Peter. But if you'll notice here, he uses his old name, his pre-Jesus name of Simon, and he uses his post-I-found-Jesus name of Peter. And you notice that when he does this, he, he's kind of given us this, this was the old me, and this is the new me. This is the, the one that I, I became to know Jesus. And he says this, that I am a servant and an apostle. Did you notice the order that he put those two things in? He didn't say, hey, I'm Peter, I'm an apostle, and I'm a servant. Because Peter realized that he was a servant before he was anything. And in the Greek, this is the word uh, doulos, which means that, that he was a bond servant, that he realized that he's given his life to Christ. That, that came before anything else. That became before he was the pastor, because in this part, he is over the entire church. And he's putting this thing in perspective of saying, listen, I'm a servant. I, I, I understand that my first thing is to serve people before it is in a, in a title. And so he sets this stage of saying, all right, I know who I used to be. I know who I am now. I am a servant first, and I'm an apostle second. And he puts it in order. And, and, and what, he, what I feel like he's probably saying, if we're to put this in our words of today, I, I think what, what Peter would be saying is, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and serving is beneath you, then leadership is too far beyond you, that we've got to be serving we got to serve the community. we got to serve other people. And he realizes his place 
through all of this. And we know the story of Peter. He's failed multiple times, correct? He could have easily just disqualified himself from everything. I mean, there was that incident where he tried to walk on water. He sank. There was one incident where Jesus told him that he was basically, his mama was the devil, right? And so he, he didn't have a very good track record in the very beginning. But then on the day in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came down, he kicked it into a new gear. Because he realized everything was coming full force. So Peter could have easily disqualified himself because of the past failures. But God had placed him over the church. But he didn't forget where he came from. And he says this. To those who have obtained a faith of, what's this word? Who obtained a faith of what? Equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus. What he was saying is that we've been given this and obtained this faith, and this faith that we have has come from God. It didn't come from anywhere else. But we are equal in this. Now, he's already set it up by telling us that he was a servant. And now he comes to us by saying, listen, this is equal. There's no junior varsity and varsity. This is a oneness. This is one team. This is a unification that he's trying to get the church to wrap around to be unified, that we all have this equal standing by the righteousness of God that he's given to us so that we can go and do the mission that he's given us to do. And then he shifts this in the next verse, in verse 2. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, when we look at that verse... We see that word knowledge just kind of stands out. And we would think that knowledge means intellectual. Like you, you know because you've studied and read some things and did your research, so now you know. In the Greek language, this word knowledge is not something you learn based off what you read. It's based off of what you have experienced. Isn't it true that there's some things we learn better when we experience them than we just read about them? I don't, I don't know about you, but growing up in school, there were certain subjects that I just was not very great at but the ones that I was hands-on and could experiment with those were the things that my grades were high I learned by doing not by reading but watching YouTube's great too that helps right you can do you can build a space shuttle watching YouTube there's somebody out there that's done it but he says that this knowledge that grace and peace will be multiplied to you in knowledge in this intimate, relational relationship that you have with God. This is where your grace and peace will come from. And it not only will just come, he says it will be multiplied to you from your understanding that happens from your experience with God. Because when we know things, we know things based off facts. So there's some things that we know based off of facts, and there's some things we know off of personal experience. There's some things that we would tell people, hey, you don't want to do that. I don't have any facts to back up why you shouldn't do that, but I can tell you I've done that, and it did not work out well, right? Because it's an experience that we've come through. So there's a big difference between knowing about him and knowing him. There's a really big difference. And, and I'll hear people say this all the time is that, well, I believe in God. Well, that's cool. You know, the Bible says that even... Even the demons believe in God. The difference is they don't put their trust and faith in him 
and abide and live in the presence of the king. And so Peter is, is urging and saying, listen, you can know about him, but do you truly know him? Like, do you, do you truly know? Do you see with spirit eyes? Do you hear with the ears of God? Do you, are you moved with compassion the way that Jesus was moved with compassion? And he's hitting us on this right out of the gate. Now, we're just a couple of verses in. And you see how much he's already packed in here of putting, like, I want you to understand you are a servant above everything. That Jesus has given us this power. You should see that the more that he talks, the more we're moving down the scale and Jesus is coming right up to sit on the throne where he belongs. And, and, he won't, and, and again, this is all happening in the middle of upheaval. And the people probably came looking for a message of hope and how do we get out of this mess and, you know, what do we do? And he's pushing them to this one thing that doesn't make sense to them in the moment, but it's, if you know God, then you can kind of maneuver yourself to this situation, but if you truly know God, then walking through this is no problem. Because there's a, when you know based off experience, there is this, this trust. So you know him through time spent with him. Through time spent with him. John 15 says that if you'll abide in me, I'll abide in you. You'll dwell with me. If you'll live with me, then I'll live with you too. Is, is this a relationship? So this is how we, we begin to be made holy. This is how we're sanctified. We hear that word. Is that it, it's this relationship that we're getting to know God on intimate levels. We know his heart. Think about it with your spouse. Like, we all know each other's spouses, but nobody knows your spouse like you do. You know the ins and outs of everything. You know what makes them smile. You know what gets on their nerves. You know what brings them absolute uh, joy in their life. Like, you know your spouse because you spent time with them. You, you know. And it, it's an intimate knowledge that you have about your spouse. So we are to, to abide. This is the foundation of being a Christian. It's not just I'm saved and move on with life. It's Jesus has saved me and redeemed me, and now the sanctification part starts where he's making me holy. And so I'm in this relationship with him, having this communion with God. I would say it this way to sum it up is that you can't live for Jesus if you don't live with Jesus. You can't live for Jesus if you don't live with Jesus. Because if you're not living with him, how do you know what he's for? How do you know? If you're not spending time with him, how do you know what he wants from your life? So we, we've got to be in a relationship with him daily, hearing his voice over everything else. Now, this is in the first two verses. Now what Peter's going to do, he's going to set this letter up, and in the next few verses, he's going to begin to instruct us on how to cultivate this relationship. So he's telling us that we've got to have this relationship, that we get this, this multiple, multiplying grace and peace in our life if we have this knowledge that only comes through this relationship. And he says this in, in verse 3 in the first part here. He says, His divine power. Whose power is this? His. Because he won't remember... The more he's writing, the more Jesus is being lifted up and the more that we should be coming down and realizing that he is who he says he is. And he says it's his divine power 
that has granted to us all things, everything, that pertain to life and godliness. So he uses this word, this power. This, in the Greek, it's dunamis. This word is a dependable source of power. I mean, we're moving into this new realm of, of electric cars. I've seen some electric mowers. Those are great. You know what the problem is? They run out of battery every once in a while, just like your, your car runs out of gas. It's not a charging battery that just consistently goes all the time. It, at some point, if you don't plug that thing back in, then the Tesla's going to slow down. The mower blades are going to cut a little slower and start leaving big chunks of grass in your yard. Because it, it, this, the power is relying on a source that it has to be charged. And what Peter's saying is this source of power that we have with God is, is not like this battery-operated machine. This is a, a power source that never loses its power. It's always there. And, and he's saying it's, it's that power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in us. And, and he's telling us that this, this power that he has, his divine power, this power that never goes out, that is a dependable power, this is the very power that has granted to us all the things to pertain to life and godliness. What he's saying is that he has given us everything we need to do his purposes. Everything. So we, we're without excuse of going, well, I'm not good at that. He has given us everything that we needed to do the purposes that he has called us to do. Here, here's what I'm telling you. You are qualified because Jesus said so. Isn't that good news? That scares some of you because you're like, oh, but I didn't want to do that. He has qualified you. Qualified you. I, I remember taking a public um, speaking class in college. Here was the problem with that. I didn't like public and I didn't like speaking. All right. I also didn't like writing papers, but hey, it was one or the other, right? And I was, I hated that class because they told me I had to put together a presentation and I had to get up and convince our class on why they should wear a seatbelt. So I did what I thought was right. And I went on Google and I put in car accidents without seatbelts, images, click. That was a bad idea, by the way. So I threw those up on the screen and said, this is why we wear seatbelts. This is what happens. Any questions? And I sat down. That was, my whole, that was my whole spill. Now, how do you think that public speaking class went for me? Not very well. But everybody got the point because I'm pretty sure they wore seatbelts after that. But speaking was not the thing that I wanted to do and I always ran from that. Always. And then when I... I felt that you know, Jesus had called me to be a pastor. I was like, well, here's the problem with that is that they have to be speakers and speak in front of people. And I don't do that. And then I was reminded that Moses told God the exact same thing, and he was humbled. And so here, here's what I'm getting at. i got a long way to go, but I'm up here every weekend because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. But he's qualified me as much as he's qualified you to do what it is that you have to do. You, you play a big part in what he wants in the kingdom. And if all you can do is throw up some Google images to get your message across, then he has gifted you to Google, okay? So he says this, is that he has granted us this power. This power has granted us to all these things that pertain to life. We have everything we need to do his purposes. This is what we call your next little 
box here is progressive sanctification. So when we're saved, we have been sanctified to be made holy. We have been set apart. But through this life, we now have what we call progressive sanctification. As in, this is a process. You know, I don't know about you, but when I would, I used to, I was a teenager and I used to go to camps and they would put somebody on stage to share their testimony. And it was some crazy testimony. Like they got stabbed 10 times, they died four times, and they saw Jesus as they were laying on the hospital table. And then they got saved and then they planted a church and it was like 40 million people attended their church. Like crazy testimonies. And I'm sitting back there going, ooh. I just cussed in my head in the middle of all this. I'm not, I don't know that I'm there yet. Like, I felt awful. Like, it's, my testimony is not as good. I remember being asked to share my testimony one time in youth group, and I was like, well, mine's not as good. Because I didn't have, I tell people the only drug problem I had was my grandmother in sixth grade drugged my behind to church every weekend. That was it. And she was addicted to it because I didn't want to go. But that was it. I just felt like my testimony wasn't enough. Because my life was all over the place. I mean, you feel like that too? That in this process with Jesus that your life just doesn't seem perfect? And if, if that's the way you feel, can I just tell you that what Peter is telling us is, that's where you're supposed to be. Because it takes all the weight and burden off. We, we're, we can't, we're not perfect. We're going to fail each other. We're going to feel disqualified. But he says this is this progressive sanctification where we go through life and we have our highs we're doing really good and then we drop but the thing is that we keep progressing by moving moving forward you could say it this way is that when we talk about progressive sanctification it's just saying hey I'm not what I used to be can anybody say that I'm not what I used to be I'm not what I need to be but I'm not what I used to be and that is us moving moving forward now look at this in in second Peter 3 this is the second part of it. Y'all are causing me to slow down. we got to speed up. He says this, through the knowledge of him who has called you. Through the knowledge. Again, he's saying that, that we have this, we've been granted all these things that pertain to life and godliness, that God has given us everything that we need to do the purposes. And he follows it up with, through the knowledge of him who has called you. He's just reminding us again, do not forget, if you want this multiplication of grace and peace. Do not forget where that comes from. It's through the knowledge, through the relationship, through abiding with the Father. And so he's saying that the, the, the recreation into the image of Christ comes only by way of active participation. Christianity was never meant to be lived sitting on the sideline. You got to know the playbook. You got to get in the game. You got to push yourself forward every day to follow through the commands that Jesus has given us. And, he, and he's saying that this, this knowing, this knowledge is just on an experience. What Peter's saying is, I want you to know God in an intimate way. I want you to know who your father is. Not based off of what people have told you, but based off of what you are experiencing with him when you're spending time with him. He says, so it's through this knowledge, this lifetime pursuit. It's not, again, that we get saved and we thank God for the fire insurance, and we go on doing what we need to do with the rest of our life. What he's saying is, you get saved, and, and, and Jesus redeems you, and you spend the rest of your life in a lifetime commitment of following him, and spending time with him, and in relationship with him. Here's your next big word is vivification. You ever heard that word before? I learned it this week. 
took me about 10 times, and I learned how to spell it. Learned it on YouTube. Vivification is the strengthening and an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live this righteous life that he's called us to. I would even say it this way. It's doing the things that stir our affections for him. There are things that we should be doing to put ourselves in a position to stir our affections and our dependency and our love and our desire on God. This is vivification. It's doing things consistently that will increase our knowledge, to put us in his presence. I think it comes down to it comes down to three things we should focus on when it comes to things stirring our affections. And that's people, word, and presence. The people, the word, the presence. Because we, we gotta be in this place where we are in community with people. In community. Gathering as a church, gathering as small groups, gathering where there's one or more, just talking the gospel and, and talking about what our lives are supposed to be and, and challenging one another. If you want things that stir your affections for him, it should be being in these conversations with people talking about the things of God with people. It stirs our affection. It raises the temperature of our relationship with him. It's in his word. It's having this this desire, this intimate desire for his word, to be in his word, to read his word, to know his word, to live his word, and most importantly, just to hear a word from him. It's, it's this thing that stirs our affections of going, oh God, I just want a word. I just want to hear from you. Just want to hear that we would be in such a position just to be burdened, just to get a word from the Lord. That we would find ourselves in a posture of just prayer, of asking God, just speak to me. I want to hear from you. Show me, God. Show me what you want. And then his presence. There has to be this affection for his, with his presence. We do that through worship and prayer. Like we're doing it right now. We're worshiping. We're spending time praying. We're spending time hearing. These are the things where our affections are most notably seen. That when we come together and we're singing songs. And we're making these declarations that it is well with my soul. No matter what I'm going through, it is, it is well. We're saying things that it, it, is, it is finished because of Christ's redeeming work on the cross. It is finished. We don't need to worry about anything because he has already done what he said he needed to do. Those stir our affections. Have you ever just stopped to, to pay attention to some of the words that we're singing? And just thank God in the middle of all that. Just thank you for everything. Because you realize the power of those words and what God has done in your life. Those, that's your affection being stirred. And when we're praying over people, we're praying for God to move, we're praying for him to raise up new disciple makers. And we're, we're making these prayers that should be stirring our affections. Because we're praying in accordance and worshiping in accordance with God. And he says this in the second part of verse 3. He says, to his own glory... Remember, again, Jesus is going up and we're, we're coming down. He says, to his own glory and excellence. There's freedom in this because we don't have to worry about trying to get glory for this. If we're striving for glory, we are in the wrong seat. He says all this happens to his own glory and excellence. I'm tell you the good news this morning is that God is indeed for you. He's for you. But God is also for himself. Because if he wasn't for himself, 
then he would be for other things, and then he wouldn't be God anymore. God has his plan, his world, his children, and he has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. And God is for us. But God is also for himself. And so in this, we have to understand that there's freedom knowing that he has given, granted us this divine character, these qualities that he's trying to give to us and understanding that, hey, if I really will just put Jesus in the driver's seat and really just listen to the song and let Jesus take the will, then this thing's going to go the way that it needs to go. And he says it's to his own glory. Now watch this. It's to his own glory and excellence. Watch this next transition. By which he has granted to us these precious promises. Because he's the one glorified. And it's his excellence, his moral character of who he is. He says this, that he has given us these precious promises. These precious promises. What, he, what he's saying is that we are reminded of his glory and his excellence when we think on the promises that God has given us. Pick a promise. There's only 7,487 promises that God has given us in the scriptures. Just pick one. Because when we think on it, it reminds us of his excellence and his goodness and who he is. Think about this. When he says, come to me all who are burdened and, and heavy laden, and what he's saying, if you have all this stress and all these burdens on you, what does he say the next promise is? I will give you, that's a promise. And when I think on the fact that all the stuff that is coming down on me, that Jesus says, if I'll just drop it, because it's hard to be like Jesus and carry a burden, but if we have the burden and we drop it at his feet, he says, I promise you, I will give you rest. Because I will take what you're not meant to carry. Think about Philippians 4. He says, be anxious for, anybody know the next part? Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Not some things. Don't be anxious for anything. Because he says this, don't be anxious. Make your request to God. Tell God. Speak to God. Have a conversation. Here's that knowledge that comes from the intimacy. He says that you bring that request to God and he will give you a peace that will surpass all understanding. In other words, I don't even need to understand it. I just know being with God makes it all better. That's his promise. He's, he's promising to take burdens off of us and give us rest. He's promised to give us peace even when we don't understand it. And I love 2 Corinthians 2.20. It says that all of the promises of God, all of them find their yes and their amen in him. In him. You know how we know that? Through this relationship that we have with him because it's knowledge that we have learned the more that we're with him, the more we're spending time with him, that I trust that those promises are true. And when I know those promises are true, it only declares the goodness of God in my life. Amen? We good? This is, this is heavy, I understand, but I'm, we're going we're gonna to clean this in just a minute. Look at verse 4. He says, so that through them, through what? The, the promises that you and I may become partakers or we're going to be sharing of this divine nature. He, he's saying because of the goodness of God and because of God's nature, we get to be a part of that. That he's also going to change, he's going to change our nature. So Peter's saying that 
we're going to eventually be morally um, just perfected by sharing in God's moral excellence. Not yet, though, but soon. It's going to happen. Because there's going to be a time when Jesus appears that we're going to see him face to face and realize, oh, this all makes sense now. This all makes sense now. It's going to be like putting the bow on the packages. Look at the next verse. He says, so that through them you may become partakers of this divine. And then he gets in, into this next piece. I want to read you from Romans. Because, because we're being perfected, but I want you to look at this. He says, and we know that for those who love God, love is, is being in this relationship with him. He says that those who love God, all things work what? They work together. They work together for good. They work. It, it may not seem like it for us, but God works all things together for his good. And what's and, and he's not worrying, he's not sitting here saying, Hey, it's for my good because I don't care about my children. I promise you that if we are inheritance of this blessing, it's good for us too, because what's good for God is good for us. He says, for those who are, call, uh, who are called according to his purpose. There's that word again. And he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Don't get scared. People hear that word. They start freaking out. Listen to what he's saying when he's, he's talking about be, being predestined. He says that he's also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What have we been predestined to? We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is what Peter has been saying the entire time, is that Jesus is sitting up here on this, on this throne because he is the example that we're supposed to become. And, and when we can step back and keep stepping back, we see him a lot clearer. That's why Jesus is rising to the top. Because it's all about the perspective. And he's saying, when you understand that and when you love him and you, you know that you've been called according to his purposes and he works those things out, we understand how he's working them out because we've been with Jesus so we know kind of how Jesus is operating here and we have faith in the areas that, that we're not 100% sure. And, and he's saying that what happens is that we are to be conformed to his son and not conformed to the patterns of the world. I mean, even in Philippians 2, Paul said that you have this mind yourself, not to be conformed to the patterns of the world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does your mind get transformed? It's by being in the presence of Jesus, getting new perspective, new thoughts through prayer, through being with people, through being in the Word. So how do we conform to Jesus? He says this in verse 4. Having escaped from the corruption of that is in the world because of sinful desire. Where's corruption come from? Sinful desire. So the solution to conforming to Jesus, to become like Jesus, means there's some things in our life that just simply need to die. There, there's some sin in our life that needs to die. We call this mortification. So here's the process. He says that we've... We've, we've been sanctified, now we have this progressive sanctification that we are, we are on this path to becoming more like Jesus. We do things that vivification, we do things that, that make us affectionate for God. And once we get all that in order, then we realize there's some things in our life that need to go. Because it'll be a lot easier to kill sin in your life when you realize God and who He is. 
So we have a tendency to attempt to downplay sin. We'll use terminology like this, where I struggle with, but what if we called it what it was and said, no, I don't, I don't struggle with gossip. I sin, and we killed that. John Owen, a famous theologian, said this. I'm pretty sure it was him. If not, he gets credit for it. Um, he's dead. He couldn't argue it anyway. But he says, that you need to kill sin or sin's going to be killing you. Because what happens is we try to tame sin. I was watching a video this week. Um, this is one of those I was looking to do something on YouTube, and then I slipped over to this one, and they were at a birthday party in this petting zoo. But they had an alligator in the petting zoo. That didn't make any sense to me. That would have been the first thing as the parent, like you probably shouldn't take your kid to that petting zoo because there's an alligator. And the handler is talking about how great it is, and there are videos of her kissing the alligator and petting the alligator, and all the kids are watching. And then all of a sudden, the alligator says, hmm, I want a snack and bites her hand, and now her hand's in the alligator's mouth. All the kids are, the birthday party is gone at this point, and she's being pulled into the little enclosure. And this dad, heroic dad, jumps into the water and wrestles this alligator until they finally get the lady's hand out of her mouth. But they were talking about how, oh, well, this never really happens, and they're, you know, they're great... Do you know at some point when you take an animal like that and put it in your house, at some point it's going to do what animals do, and it's, you can't tame it, right? But she was acting as if the alligator was tame. And we can tame sin all we want, but at some point it's going to grasp down on us and it's going to pull us into its enclosure because it can't be tamed. It's dangerous. And, and this is what Paul is saying is that we, we've got to, We've got to put those things to death because the longer we hold on to these things, the more it's going to bring the spiritual decay into our lives. So we have to put the things to death that are trying to hinder our relationship with Jesus. They have to die. So we can't play around with sin. We can't tame it. We can't fence it. We've got to kill it. So here's a, let's, let's move fast. We're going to finish up right here. He says this, For this reason, because okay, the dangers of sin. For this reason, you need to make every effort to supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. This is a generous and costly participation when he says the supplement. Okay? When we do this, he gets glory for it. Okay? So he says, here's the things. We have to build on our faith. I, I put six right here. I'm actually going to give you seven. This is a bonus one. And I'm not going to read these verses, but here are the things that he says you need to be supplementing your faith with. Number one, you've got to supplement it with virtue. With virtue. That's doing what's right because you're compelled to, because I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do, because this is the thing that God would do. That is having virtue. He says you've got to have to supplement your faith with the knowledge, to know his word, to know his presence, to know him, to spend time with him. So we supplement with virtue and knowledge and self-control. We're ruled by our relationship with Jesus and not by our emotions. We don't, we don't do things because we feel a certain way. We do things because the Holy Spirit has told us what we can do. We listen to our emotions, but our emotions do not control us. So we have this self-control, steadfastness, which basically just means to bear up under, to hold up. Because Jesus never promised us that things are going to be perfect all the time. Life is rough sometimes, and we've got to have this steadfastness. He says you need to supplement it with godliness. Be people of integrity. Okay, that word comes from the word integer. Integer means one. We're unified. 
We're unified in godliness. So we have to please God with every area of our lives. Then he says brotherly affection. This is the way that you and I love one another, that we care for one another. We have to supplement our faith with that. And here's the, here's the bonus one. It's bonus because I forgot to put it on your sheet. Number seven is love. And it's just in any love, by the way. The Greek word here is agape love. It is the way that God loves us, and we reciprocate that to other people, that we love people like Jesus. And now listen to this. He says, if these qualities are yours, and if these qualities, like being productive in your faith, and they're increasing, this is progressive, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. If, if you're supplementing your faith with these things, then you won't be ineffective. And your relationship and your knowledge, the knowledge, again, we're going right back to spending time with God. That will not decay. He says it will not go away. So if we, if we stop taking steps, then we're not followers. Because you can't follow if you're not walking. So Peter's suggesting that if we don't unleash these qualities in our Christian life, then ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness is going to be the result of all of this. And here's the result. He says this, and I'll close it right here. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Remember, because when you realize where your place is and you begin stepping back, Jesus becomes bigger and bigger. You get to see him for who he truly is. And he says, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. In other words, when you're not doing these qualities, you completely forget how you even got salvation to start with, which came from God. You, you, you think that for some reason you did it yourself. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Pay attention to conform your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an, an entrance into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Here's the bottom line. Faith was and is intended to grow. So my, my challenge to you is the same thing that, that Peter's is. That we have got to cultivate our relationship with Jesus. Spend time with him get around people and serve in community. You can serve in community through small groups. You can serve in community through serving on a serve team. Get yourself in a godly community and get in his presence. While you're waiting in that two-hour car rider line, talk to Jesus. Might, might do you a lot of good if you talk to Jesus in the two-hour car rider line. Just ask him, hey, let the rapture come today so I can just get out of this line, whatever it takes. But spend your time just praying Find every, every opportunity you have to get in his word to hear from him. Because what Paul's, Peter's telling us is if we do these things, these qualities, we will not be ineffective. And when we're not ineffective, his kingdom is growing and Jesus is being glorified among all things. And that is good news. Because when we point people to Jesus, we point them to the very thing that will give them hope and redemption and if we do those things we watch the news and the news gets a little better and that's my prayer for our community is that our church would fall in love with Jesus more than anything 
that people will take notice and want to know what's up. Why are you so different? And you can share the gospel and that we change our community one heart at a time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the words of Peter. I just pray that we would realize that no matter where we are, if our relationship is just one that we've asked you to save us and we've not moved any further, that today we will take our next steps in finding ourselves, deepening that faith and in the knowledge of who you are. And so God, I just pray that we would, we would spend time with you, hear from you, that that would be a desire that you would stir our affections for you. And we pray these things in your name.